Hi, this is John Hemminghouse speaking for the Beacon of Hope broadcast, a ministry of Calkins Baptist Church near Milanville, Pennsylvania. One of the major reasons many people give for walking away from the church is the problem of the hypocrites that they found there. Why is this a common problem? In Christ's parable called the wheat and the tares, Jesus addresses this issue and how God views it. I believe you will find this message from Christ very interesting and enlightening. Well, it's great to be with you again this week, and um, we're if you're following along in your Bible, it's going to, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 13, and starting at verse 24, where Jesus is dealing with the parable of the wheat and the tares. Now, um, we saw last week that Jesus had not really taught with parables before, at least that are recorded in the scripture, until basically this time in his ministry. And he was asked specifically by his disciples, why are you teaching in parables? And he answered uh, with, very, uh, with a very interesting um, a reply that he was actually going to hide truth from those who were determined to reject him while sharing truth with those who would, uh, would um, understand and honestly seek him. And so um, this parable of the wheat and the tares um, is not one that would be necessary. You, you could see a number of different ways of looking at it. But Jesus clearly tells us what the parable is all about and what it means. And so that's why uh, this one is extremely uh, helpful for us to study. And I, I said that it is a troubling parable and yet it's helpful. Uh, and, and, and why I say that is the parable is troubling because it reveals that there are many people whom Satan places into the work of God who are fakes. Uh, we call them hypocrites. They're not truly saved. And it can be scary to think of the reality that some who attend church and are even involved in Christian ministry are just parroting the right words and going through the motions of being a believer in Christ, but who have never truly been born again. So the parable is troubling on that regard. However, the parable of the wheat and tares is also very helpful, for it explains why there are hypocrites in the church. It also explains that God is not surprised by them, nor is he fooled by them. Further, the parable explains how we as Christians are to respond to the problem of hypocrisy among us and why God tells us to react the way we do. And so I personally have found this parable very helpful in dealing with the issue of Christian hypocrisy. Um, the story is told of a rather pompous-looking deacon who was endeavoring to press, impress upon a Sunday school class of boys the, inter, the importance of living the Christian life. Um, and he very pompously said, uh, why do people call me a Christian? Well, after a moment's pause, one uh, honest youngster uh, said, well, maybe it's because they don't know you very well. Well, you know, sadly, that story often rings true. And so uh, we're going to look at this parable. Before we get started, let's ask for God's blessing upon his word. Father, we know we need your help today. We know that this is your word and it's wonderful. And um, uh, these these uh, parables from the lips of our Lord are so powerful and um and timeless. And yet, Lord, uh, I just ask that you'd help me to be able to be helpful to the folks that will be listening. I pray that you would uh, open my mind to be able to be clear and to say things that uh, are true to your word and true to what it teaches. And I just pray that, that you will work in hearts as a result of this, that those who don't know you as Savior might see their need for thee, and those who know you would be encouraged and strengthened in their faith. And so, Lord, we ask for your grace and guidance upon this time. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Well, in dealing with this parable, again, you have two distinct sections uh, that Matthew uh, gives us. In verses 24 to 30 is when Jesus actually speaks the parables. It's it's declared. And then then in verse uh, 36 to 43 of Matthew 13, there's where you have the parable explained. So let's notice, first of all, how Jesus uh, actually uh, told the parable, and then we'll see the explanation in a few minutes. It says, Another parable he put forth to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, then the tares also appeared. So the servants of the owner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? He said to them, an enemy has done this. The servant said to him, Do you want us then to go and gather them up? But he said, No, lest while you gather up the tares, you also uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, First, gather the, uh, uh, together the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them. But gather the wheat into my barn." Now, um, you'll notice that uh, what I would call the mixed sowing of the field in verse 24 and 25. You find the landowner uh, sowed good seed in his field. And I want you to think of who or what. There are three different parts uh, in these uh, uh, two verses uh, where the field is sown that I I want you just to think about for for a moment. First of all, we have to think about who does the landowner represent. what does the field represent? And then thirdly, what about the good seed? What does the good seed represent that the landowner sowed? And so um, Christ is going to positively identify all three of these parts later um, in, in, in Matthew's gospel here. So we'll not need to wonder as to what any of these three parts of the parable mean. However, we still have a much more of the parable uh, to, to consider. But I want you to think, here's, here's a guy who goes out to, uh, into his field. He's the landowner. And whether he himself or his servants, they they sow the seed out into the field. And they obviously are sowing good, good seed when they do that. But then in verse 25, you have, uh, While the men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. So the landowner's enemy, now, and, and again we have to consider who that enemy might represent. And we're told that. Um, he goes out and he sows tares. Now what, what are tares? Um, a, 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 a Bible uh, a dictionary type of thing that I use uh, called a lexicon, uh, uh, but written by uh, actually a husband-wife team called uh, the Freibergs. Uh, they say that this word refers to a weed resembling wheat, but producing poisonous seeds. So it looks like uh, wheat that was the, that was the good seed that was sown. But when it comes up and, and bears fruit, it doesn't bear wheat, it bears these poisonous seeds. Thus, hang on to these two characteristics about the tares. They resemble wheat in their early growth. They look almost identical. But secondly, they produce poison. Now, I don't want to give away the whole parable, yet some of you may already be thinking about those pears that produce, those tares that produce poison you've already thought that hypocrisy is poisonous to the work of God, you'd be correct. So somehow the tares are going to be connected with hypocrisy or hypocritical people. And I think probably some of you have already thought about that. Uh, 
Uh, the story is told of a blistering hot day when a family had guests for dinner. And mother asked four-year-old Johnny to return thanks. But I don't know what to say, the boy complained. Oh, just say what you remember hearing me pray, his mother replied. Obediently, the boy bowed his head and mumbled, Oh, Lord, why did I invite these people over on a hot day like this? Oh, yeah, you see, we all can can say some things that are foolish and kind of come back to us to haunt us later on. But we're not really talking about just making a a comment here or there that we regret. We're talking about a person who has never truly accepted Christ as Savior, who's been faking it. Uh, so we, we had then the mixed sowing. The, the landowner who sowed good seed into his field, and then this enemy that comes by by night and sows the the tares among the wheat. And then, then I'd like you to notice verse 26 and 27, there's this confusing crop then that comes up. It says, but when the grain had, uh, excuse me, when the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, then the tares also appeared. So the servants of the owner came and said to him, sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? So there's this confusing crop. Uh, what was being produced, un- unlike the expected good crop the field produced, we have, we have the, the, uh, uh, Good plants, the wheat that was expected coming up, that made sense. But then these poisonous weeds, these tares, that was not expected. And, and so there's the question of what was the cause of the good uh, and the bad crops both coming up. What was the cause of the wheat and the tares? And, and so the servants come back and, and they're, they're, they're saying, well, maybe, maybe you didn't sow good seed. And um, they were wrong about that. That brings us then, so you have this, this uh, mixed sowing from the landowner who's obviously sowing the good seed and then the enemy who came along and sowed these tares these poisonous weeds among the wheat and then you have this confusing crop coming up and the and the servants uh, really surprised at it not understanding what was going on and now we see the wisdom of the landowner verse 28 to 30 he said to them an enemy has done this the servant said to him do you want us to go and gather them up so the, the source of the poisonous weeds, the, the landowner understood that right away. It, 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 this is not that we bought bad seed. Um, this was deliberately done. An enemy has done this. And so the, the next uh, question that the servants had uh, was, well, what would you like us to do? This is, and they have a, a, an unwise solution. Their solution was, should we go out and pull up the weeds immediately? Now, the problem with this solution is, is, is mentioned by the landowner, verse 29, but he said, No, lest while you gather up the tares, you also uproot the wheat with them. So what the landowner is saying is that, is that if you try to pull the, the, the tares out among the wheat right now, you're going you're gonna to destroy some of the wheat as well. We're, gonna, we're actually going to um, have less of a crop. So the the servants was, were thinking, well, maybe we should just pull up the weeds immediately, and and the landowner saying, no, that's not a good idea. You're gonna you're gonna pull up some wheat with it. Now now, uh, how would that take place? Well, some of the wheat may have been mistaken for the tares, and uh, there may have been some of the servants that that and because they were almost identical when these plants are young, and although somebody spotted uh, the difference and could figure it out, there may be some of those servants. Um, and maybe all of them that uh, it, with 
things being so close and and looking so similar might have pulled up the wrong ones that that's a possibility or another possibility is that the wheat may have had roots that were intertwined with the tares and so even if you pull up the proper plant you pull the tear out you may be yanking the wheat out of the ground and and then leaving it very vulnerable uh to die so the landowner said no it's not a good idea to try to pull them up um, pull pull out the, the weeds right now. So what was his solution? Verse 30. Let them both grow together until the harvest. And at the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, first gather the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. So the landowner's solution was to let both grow together until the harvest time. Well, why? Well, because again, the difference is even more apparent as those uh, plants, the tear becomes uh, uh, markedly different than the wheat as they grow older. Um, So the difference is more apparent. And also, by the time you're going to pull out the tares now, when we're ready for the harvest, all is coming out of the field. So any wheat that's uprooted is going to be harvested as well. So, and then he said, kind of interestingly, first, I want you to dispose of the tares. And what is done to them, they're gathered together and they're burnt. And he said, next, you gather the wheat and bring that into my barn. Well, the disciples were wondering what this meant. And so uh, if you're a little bit puzzled as to what Jesus meant, um, then uh, it's wonderful. In verse 36, the disciples asked that question for us and get the answer that we need. So in verse 36 Then Jesus sent the multitudes away and went into the house. And his disciples came to him saying, Explain to us the parable of the tares of the field. He answered and said to them, He who sows the good seed is the son of man. Now the landowner then is none other than Jesus himself. Now some of you may have guessed, and I would have guessed very easily, God the Father possibly as the landowner here. But in this particular parable, Jesus said it's the Son of Man, which is Himself. So um, uh, Jesus is saying, "I'm the one who has sown the good seed into the field." Now, what would the field represent? Well, he goes on, verse thirty-eight: "The field is the world." Okay, so Jesus then has been sowing the good seed into the world. And now what would be represented by the seed? Uh, In the first parable we looked at last week, the seed was the word of God. And so some of you may have thought, well, maybe it's Jesus sowing the seed of the word of God out into the world. But that actually isn't um, what this seed pictures in this parable. Because he says next, the field is the world, the good seeds are the sons of the kingdom. So Jesus is sowing not merely his word to the world, but he is sowing his children throughout the world, people who are believers and genuine followers of him. And what has he sown them to do? Well, just like the wheat will, will produce a harvest of what? More wheat, more wheat heads, and, and some of them can be used for grain that you can make into bread, Others could be used to re-sow the field. And the wheat will produce more than just the one stalk that, uh, that it is. It'll produce many, many heads of grain as a result of the one seed that was sown. 
And so if you think about it, it's a really good picture of the believer. And Jesus is saying, I have sown my children in the world. And that's a wonderful thing. Then if the good seeds are the believers, then who are the tares? Who are the poisonous weeds representing? Well, that again becomes pretty evident. As Jesus says, field is the world, the good seeds are the sons of the kingdom, but the tares are the sons of the wicked one, or the sons of the devil. They are false believers. Satan has his children in the very places where God's children dwell, and Satan actually sows them among God's children. So when people say, well, there are hypocrites in the church, may I say to you, that Jesus foretold that this was going to happen, he said that Satan would sow unbelievers among the believers. So they're mingled among us, and often, at least early on, truly resemble the children of God. They could be people that have grown up in the church and have gone there uh, since since childhood and, and maybe even since infancy and have gone to church faithfully every week and yet they've never truly accepted Jesus Christ as Savior. It could be a person who has even uh, grown up to become a minister of the gospel and is supposedly telling other people how they can know God. And that person may be, again, saying the right things and going around doing the right things, and yet not be a genuine uh, child of God. Satan deliberately sows unbelievers among the believers. And so if you have a congregation where you're trying to worship and please God, Satan will place some among the wheat who are going to be false believers. You think even in, in the disciples, not that Jesus didn't know ahead of time, he did. But Judas is an example of this. As here he was, one of the twelve disciples was really uh, not perceived by the others to be an unbeliever at all. They would have all have assumed that Judas was genuine, and yet he wasn't. And however, with, just like these, these weeds, later they evidence more and more the, character, the characteristics of the weeds that they are, or the false believers that they are, and they produce poison. And in, in Deuteronomy chapter 29, and verse 18 down to verse 20, there's a reference to a person like this. It says, um, and what, what was happening is Moses was kind of giving his last, um, his last message to the people. The book of Deuteronomy really is that the people of Israel, he'd led them for 40 years and now was going soon to die and uh, was going to leave, uh, obviously, the nation to the leadership of a very capable man named Joshua. But he was trying to help the people to understand the importance of many principles that God had taught them over the years. And in, 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 in the middle of this, or, or toward the end of his remarks actually, he gives this warning. So that there may not be among you man or woman or family or tribe whose heart turns away today from the Lord our God to go and serve other gods of these nations. And that there be, may not be among you a root bearing bitterness or wormwood. That is the idea of a poisonous plant. He warns them about this. And it's, and so it may not happen. When he hears the words of this curse, that he blesses himself in his heart, saying, I shall have peace 
even though I follow the dictates of my heart, as though the drunkard could be included with the sober. He's saying, he's warning these people, don't be an individual who thinks, well, I can get away with my sin. I can, uh, no one's going to discover that I'm really not a believer. It doesn't really matter. I'm okay. He says, the Lord will not spare him. For then the anger of the Lord uh, and his jealousy would burn against that man. And every curse that is written in this book would settle on him. And the Lord would blot out his name from under heaven. And so Moses sternly warned against this very problem of a person who was a fake, who was not um, living a godly and righteous life, who was um, acting like a believer, trying to get the blessings of being a believer, but was in fact faking it. In Hebrews chapter 12, there is the same type of warning. And in this case, um, uh, the author of Hebrews writes it this way. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and, and by this many become defiled. And that root of bitterness is a reference back to what Moses was saying in Deuteronomy chapter 28, 29. And that is that, that there can be a false person, and they may look very much like a believer for a time, but um, in the end they're going to produce poison. They're going to be a real problem. And he says, lest many become defiled. Now he gave an example. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. And Esau was an example of this. I'm sure he looked at, at um, uh, early on like a genuine believer. He was raised in a, in a, a godly home. Uh, his, his, his mom and dad were both believers, Isaac and, and his wife, Rebecca. Uh, and his grandfather was was Abraham, who who was such a godly man, walked with the Lord, and with with a gr- godly grandfather and a godly um, grandmother and Sarah, a godly mom and dad. Uh, Esau grows up, and turns out that he lives the life of immorality, and um, he, he says this in verse seventeen: "For you know that afterward, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, see, he wanted certain blessings from being a believer. He wanted." Um, uh, to be exalted as as if he had been a believer, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. So Esau's hypocrisy eventually caught up with him. Um, it's it said that in 1632, at the Battle of, of Lutzen, during the Thirty Years' War, King uh, Gustavus Adolphus was shot in the back while leading his cavalry in a charge against the Catholic armies of the, Holy, of the Holy Roman Empire. Who actually killed him remains an unanswered question. However, many historical authorities insist that Gustavus must have been killed by one of his own men if he shot in the back. And then the question becomes if he was shot accidentally or if it was by actually a traitor. And, and we still don't know that answer. Uh, it is very... Uh, uh, often proven in, in the Lord's work that there are enemies within. And those people, Jesus said, are going to be sown there by Satan. Satan's going to place them among the true children of God. And they do bring forth poison and they bring forth problems. Uh, many times they're referred to like wolves in sheep's clothing. False teachers who will 
act as if they're true believers, and then eventually show their true colors. And you can sh- you can see this all down through church history. Now, uh, so we see that the the landowner was Jesus. The good seed were the children of Christ. The um, the the field was the world, and the tares, the weeds, the poisonous weeds, were the children of the wicked one. Verse thirty nine, I think, will become obvious. Then the enemy who sowed them is the devil. Obviously, he is poison and his children produce poison as well. And so Satan is the one that sowed the unbelievers among the believers. But Jesus has a little more to say. How about the harvest? What does that represent? Now, I'm in verse 39. The enemy that sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age. So the end of the age, when, when God is going to judge this world, that's the harvest. And so you'll notice that the wheat and the tares were allowed to grow together and be together side by side all the way until the end of the age, which means that because many people have died uh, in the intervening years, many of the wheats of the people who were wheat lived right alongside of people who were tares and they lived and died without being identified. Isn't that interesting? They're not really identified until the end of the age. Um, uh, So think about the reality that there are people that have lived and died and no one knew that they were fake. It's kind of scary, isn't it? That's why this parable is troubling. It really is. When you think of the fact that you can fool everybody, but you can't fool God. Now, he's got one more uh, uh, group to identify. At the end of verse 39, he says, the reapers are the angels. So, um, I've not thought about this much before, but God's angels are going to have a role in gathering both the saved and the lost in the end of the age. That's what Jesus said. Now, um, let's think about some of the main points that were given then in this parable. Uh, Again, the time period of the events is to the end of the age. And at the end of the age, um, notice what happens. Uh, verse, I'm at verse 40. Therefore, as the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so will it be at the end of the age. So the, um, the end of the age is when the, the tares, and those would be the children of the devil, who were sown, who were placed among the believers, they're gathered up. And notice verse 30, 41, the Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all things that offend and those who practice lawlessness. So we're given two descriptions of the lost people who are going to be gathered up out of those who truly were believers. The first thing they were described as they are people who offend. And this can have the idea of, of even being like a trap. Think of a, think of a, a bait stick or a trigger, uh, a snare. Or it can be like a stumbling block. And many of these people that um, are, are tares and appear to be believers, that live, and, like they go to the same church, they, they many times have positions of leadership within the church, uh, they are used of Satan to, to offend people, to turn people away, to cause people to stumble away from the Lord. Um, maybe by being uh, just so proud 
or self-righteous, that they just turn people off. And sometimes these type of people are able to, uh, just uh, with um, by their personality, I guess, and even by Satan's uh, help, they're able to influence Christians. They're able to influence the genuine children of God to 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 kind of go their direction. I think of when Mary uh, of Bethany uh, was was performing one of the greatest acts of worship that was done to Jesus during his earthly ministry. It was it was just a few days before his death. She she took a a, a, a vial of very precious ointment, maybe a, maybe a box a very precious ointment, and she broke that box and she poured it out on Jesus' head and on his feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And it was Judas that spoke out against it. Judas said, why was this, because that that ointment was worth about a year's salary. Judas said, why wasn't this ointment uh, sold and given to the, and then the money could have been given to the poor. Judas, and you know it's interesting because some of the other Gospels mention the same event and that says the disciples, plural, complained against her. John identifies it was specifically Judas that said it. So you know what, you really, when you put those accounts together, you realize that the tear, the fake believer, got the real believers to actually think Mary was doing a bad thing by worshiping the Lord and anointing his feet. These type of people offend other people. Um, this can be a person who, who because of his uh, wicked attitude, uh, teaches another uh, to, 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 uh, uh, to just disbelieve in God. I, I, I talked to a man in his oh, 80s, maybe? Like, probably he was in his 80s. And he still remembered a couple ladies gossiping at, his, at the church that he grew up in. And used that, I think, for years as an excuse to turn away from the Lord. Um, uh, this person may may uh, start another person down a, 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 an evil road of it could be alcoholism, could be drugs. Um, but again, many times this person won't do that type of outward act. They're not necessarily out there in the community doing something that you could really pin down. But maybe it's again that self righteous attitude. Uh, the person that that makes uh, a per, uh, another another uh, maybe a genuine seeker, a person that really wants to know God, uh, somehow turn away. I, I heard a, a very tragic situation um, a number of years ago, and I can't tell you the church or the people involved, but this this was how the story was told to me that a, a young woman was 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 um, was very very distraught and. Um, uh, just uh, to the point where she was getting to the end of her rope. And she had a believing grandmother, I believe it was. And the grandmother said uh, to, to, to her granddaughter, she said, listen, why don't you go down and try that church uh, down the street from you one more time? And the girl said, oh, I, 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 don't, uh, I don't think so. I, I just don't, they, they, those people don't seem to like me down there. I, I just really... And her grandmother said, listen, try it one more time. And so here this young woman comes in, and she's, she's pretty distraught over all that's going on in her life, and she's looking for answers. And she walks through the door, and evidently she was wearing something that wasn't uh, necessarily the most modest uh, of apparel. And a, a self-righteous man met her and said to her something like this, young lady, we don't dress this way around here, and I suggest that you... Uh, leave until you can figure out what to wear to church. Something along that line. She went out and she ended up 
uh, committing suicide. Now, um, I don't know, I don't personally believe, and I again, I just heard that story, uh, it was nothing that I was ever involved in. But if that story reflects reality, I don't think that guy was a genuine believer at all. Uh, that sounds like a tear to me. A, a, someone who Jesus says would offend. Someone who would push someone away from the kingdom of God. Hopefully a genuine child of God would have more love for people and be able to overlook uh, whatever uh, the young lady was wearing in order to try to reach her soul. It, it, to introduce uh, uh, this, this type of person uh, could be doing hypo- hypo- hypocritical stuff uh, privately. Maybe involved in some kind of a, a wicked sin that, that no one uh, sees or understands. But many of these people, many of these people know how to get around and um, know how to, to, to stay out of trouble, so to speak, among the church family while being used of Satan to offend and to push people away. Jesus talked about people like that um, who would uh, take advantage of, of you know, kick, kick widows who couldn't pay their rent out of their houses. And, and then go into the, uh, the public square and, and, and make long prayers as if they're very spiritual. That kind of stuff offends people. It turns the stomachs of, of, of people. And we wonder why many people walk away from the church. Well, I will say that many of those people that are causing these offenses are headed toward the same place. They're headed toward hell themselves. Don't, don't let them push you away from the Lord. These people often are judgmental, they're often cruel, and yet many of them can, ch- can quote you chapter and verse of scriptures uh, that, again, know the right words and many times are very knowledgeable um, in the uh, church and very influential, and yet they can be, in fact, tares, false, uh, not genuine believers, false believers that Satan has placed into a congregation to hinder the work. They also are identified not only as people who offend, but they practice lawlessness. Now that word, lawlessness, means it, this, it makes it a normal part of this person's life to break the laws of God. But again, many of them have the ability not to do something like that um, in church. So this person may be able to be very pious acting in church and have all kinds of wonderful things to say, and yet at home may be a very abusive husband uh, verbally to his wife. He wouldn't do something necessarily physically to her, but just verbally and emotionally uh, beat her down. Maybe the same thing with his children. Uh, very uh, cruel and actually, again, will push his own children away. Now, there are others who will um, they'll be better, again, at hiding their unbelief. And so... Uh, they may have uh, children that that um, actually grow up and become believers, but at critical times, many times in the church, this person becomes a gossip and divides people. Uh, this person uh, uh, becomes a, uh, an individual who has a hobby horse that, that must be followed in the church and again hinders the work of God. They practice lawlessness. When God looks at their lives, they're not obedient. They're not righteous. They're not holy. They're living in rebellion against him. Verse 42 gives the, Jesus gives us the destruction of these people. And they will be cast into the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. 
Now, several modern translations uh, make it clear that the weeping and gnashing of teeth will take place within the place of suffering. Here's how it's rendered um, in the um, a couple different translations have the exactly same wording. This would be the New American Standard or the um, English Standard Version say it this way. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, the place where they are burning. This then is significant because what they're, some today are trying to say that people just uh, burn up in hell and there's, they don't um, uh, suffer there forever. That is not what Jesus is describing here. He is describing these people suffering while they are in hell, weeping and gnashing of teeth. He describes it then as, the, as their abode, their final uh, place. So let me ask you, are you living a life of hypocrisy? of lawlessness, would when God looks at your life, yeah, you may be doing the outward things, but uh, do you feel free to flaunt God's laws of, of how he would have you to speak to your wife and children? Uh, do you feel free to, to gossip behind other people's back? Uh, do you feel um, it's, it's okay as long as, as long as other people don't catch you in your sin? Uh, when you flaunt God's laws, eternal suffering in the lake of fire uh, is a real possibility for you. It may be that you've never truly come to Jesus for salvation. And Jesus said that these lawless people and people who caused others to stumble and sin in rebellion against God, they will be there in hell. So if you died right now, would you be one of them? But then there's a blessing that Jesus gives upon the righteous. Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. So there's this blessing of of the righteous people's glory and in the kingdom of their father, that would be like the barn that Jesus mentioned, the wheat was gathered into. Um, that's, uh, they're, they're in a place of joy and safety and, and blessing. And then Jesus closes this with a challenge. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Or as one translation renders it, the one who has ears had better listen. Now, what do we conclude from this? A very interesting parable, is it not? And, well, first of all, in this age, God's children and Satan's children are allowed to live side by side by God himself. Now, this is true both outside and inside the church. And this is why Jesus' words are so troubling. This is not to say that a person who claims to be a Christian and is, and is a member of a church, by the way, should not be held accountable for his or her actions. It's not to say that if you knew that uh, a man, let's say, was, was, was physically abusing his wife, that the church family should not step in and say, you need to, buddy, you need to either make this right and, and, and stop this immediately or, or, or you're not going to be a member of our church. There, there, there are, is a place for church discipline. Let me, let me just take you to a passage that deals with that very issue. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And in this particular case, there was a young man who had actually stolen his father's wife. Evidently, his father had either um, remarried or so it's not his mom, but here's how it's described. 1 Corinthians 5 and verse 1. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and such sexual immorality as is not even named among the Gentiles that a man has his father's wife. And evidently, this, this kid is still coming to church with his father's wife now that he has stolen from his dad and and so uh the verse two says and you are puffed up and have not rather mourned that he who has done this deed might be taken away from among you 
So if Christians are aware of a person who is a hypocrite, who is is living an ungodly life of immorality, um, they are to deal with that sin. They're not to let that person just flaunt his sin in the church and and bring reproach upon the name of Christ. Here's how uh, it's put down in verse 11, uh, down to verse 13 of chapter 5. But now I have written to you not to keep company if anyone named a brother who is sexually immoral or covetous or an idolater or a reviler, that would be a person who's verbally abusive, or a drunkard or an extortioner, not even to eat with such a person. If you know a person's doing something that uh, vile and just open in front of the community, then then that person needs to be uh, either they need to either get it right uh, and, and do so immediately, or they need to be dismissed from the membership of the church because they're they're a terrible uh, testimony of Christ, and again may not even be a believer. He's now notice what he says. It's very interesting what he says next. For what have I to do with judging those who are outside? Do you not judge those that are inside? What what Paul is saying under inspiration is it's not our job to to straighten out uh, the unbeliever who's not part of the church. It's not our job to do that. So if your mechanic is um, running around with with somebody else's wife, it doesn't mean you can't go back to that mechanic. Uh, he's talking about what, what now he says this. But those who are on the outside, God judges. So let God take care. Of your mechanic, you can't do anything about that, or your uh, what, whatever the the person outside the church doesn't. Um, we're not we're not to worry about that. The Christian though is to worry about the one who's claiming to be a believer of, in Jesus Christ, claiming uh, to be a follower of Him, uh, is a member of of our church, and and if he's living an ungodly life out in the world, he needs to be dealt with. So this is how Paul puts it at the end. Therefore, put away from yourselves the evil person. He's he's got to stop. Uh, you got to put him out of the church. He, he's just uh, he's a terrible testimony. And what's interesting, it seems from Second Corinthians that the young man repented when he was dealt with by a number of the people, and they really challenged him that this is wrong. You can't take the your father's wife and steal her. Uh, what a wicked thing that is. When he was challenged by a number of people, he actually got it right. And um, seems like uh, he changed and, and turned uh, from his ways, and that's what you want to see happen. Church discipline is is to eliminate uh, blatant hypocrisy. But again, many of these people that Jesus is describing, they're doing sins that you really can't pin down. Again, meanness to in, in or dishonesty in business. Many times that's not discovered right away, and so sometimes these people will live and die, and no one really picked up the fact that this person was an unbeliever. Jesus said at the end of the age, when they stand before God, they'll all be dealt with, every, every one of them. So in this age, God's children and Satan's children are allowed to live side by side. This parable also shows us that we are not able to try to separate them right now. I could not go down through my congregation and say, well, you're a believer and you're not, and you're a believer. I can't do that. Uh, First of all, I couldn't identify them correctly. I don't know the heart. God has not given us the ability to know that. And so I, I, I would dis- misidentify them if I tried to do that. There would be some people that I would say, I don't think you're a Christian, and they would be. And there's another person that would definitely you're a Christian, and, they, and I'd be wrong about that. So the Lord tells us you can't. You can't go down through there and try to, to, to identify who's a believer and who's not. You don't have that ability. 
you might misidentify. Uh, you might pull up some, some wheat with the tares. Uh, but also, tearing out the lost, in some cases, will do more damage than it would, be, than it would do good. That means and indicates to me that there are probably many lost people intermingled with our saved people. Like, let me give you some examples. A lost parent who teaches their children, um, his or her child, uh, proper doctrine. And maybe um, the other uh, uh, parent is a genuine believer. And the other, and, and this one that is the fake, the tear, they're going along with it. They're going to church just like the other one is. Uh, they're they're you know agreeing with the same doctrine. Um, they're have you know being involved in, in 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 church ministry and doing different things. They're both attending. They're saying the right things, and the children are watching and they think mom and dad are both genuine. Now, and that parent, one of them, may never truly believe, never truly accept Christ as Savior, even though the right thing is coming out of his or her mouth to the to the child to the children. And so that child or children may truly believe in Christ and be saved, thinking both mom and dad are, are believers. Now, what happened? What would happen to that child if all of a sudden, um, you know, the Lord just said, "No, you're, you know," and revealed, uh, "You're you're not a believer." It might really just just completely d- destroy that that child's life, who and break that child's heart, who was under the impression that mom, uh, or or maybe it was dad. Dad, I, I thought you were saved. In that case, sometimes God just lets that go until the time of judgment. Maybe there's a pastor or religious leader who teaches at least enough of the truth that other people get saved. I believe this scenario happens more than we'd like to imagine. And again, what if that leader himself is not a truly saved person? And what if that leader was exposed? Well, sometimes it might do far more damage to sincere people than for God to later expose that person at the judgment. And so, again, we're told by the Lord, you know, don't, don't try to separate them. Obviously, again, if there's a, is there open sin which you've got to deal with, that's one thing. But, but don't try to separate them. I'll do it. The Lord is saying, I'll do it at the end. So... Uh, what we see is that the, the, there is a very real hell and the terrors and torments of hell await all those who offend and practice lawlessness, those who are fakes. No matter what, how many times they go to church, no matter how much they give, no matter how many people think they're in heaven, they're going to be in heaven. It, they're not going to fool God if they're a fake. You can fool every human on earth, but you can't fool God. You can even fool yourself, but you can't fool God. So how would God have us to respond to this parable? Well, the first thing I would say is, first of all, have an ear to understand. Value what Jesus has said. Don't just write it off. Um, uh, a story is told of a man who loved old books, and he had, had met an acquaintance who had just thrown away a Bible that had been stored in his attic for generations. I, he said, I couldn't read it, the friend explained. Somebody named Guten something had printed it, now, the guy who, who knew the old book said, not Gutenberg. Oh, I think maybe that was it. The book lover exclaimed in horror, that, that Bible was one of the first books ever printed. Why, a copy just sold for over $2 million. His friend was unimpressed. He said, ah, mine wouldn't have been worth anything. Some old uh, guy by the name of, uh, I think, Martin Luther had scri- scribbled all over it in German. Now, um, I don't know if that's a true story. It sounds a little fictitious to me, but if it was, 
Here's a guy that vastly undervalued something. That old Bible probably would have been worth several million dollars. Now, now what we can do with Jesus' teaching is we can either say, well, you know, that was nice, as interesting parable, and just kind of throw it off, or we can take it to heart. And that is that when, when people get offended and they say, well, I'm going to leave the church because there's too many hypocrites in the church. Well, should that have surprised you? Jesus told us ahead of time that's going to happen. Satan is going to sow unbelievers among the believers. Why should that have, su- have surprised you? Other people will say, well, you know, I have an excuse. I have a right that I'm not going to go to church anymore. I have a right to say I'm because my pastor doesn't care about me or the church people don't care about me or my pastor was a hypocrite. Let me take you back to something that Jesus said in Matthew chapter 12, verse 41 and 42. He said this, The men of Nineveh will rise up in judgment with this generation and condemn it, because they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and indeed a greater than Jonah is here. You know, it's amazing that the people of Nineveh repented. It was a mass repentance, and God spared that city at the preaching of Jonah. You know why? Because Jonah didn't want... The reason why Jonah was... Remember the story of him getting swallowed by the whale while spit him up on land, and then he went to Nineveh? The reason why Jonah was swallowed up by the whale is because he was running from God's command to to go to Nineveh, not because he was afraid to preach there, because he hated the people and he didn't want them to repent. I've never known a preacher to come to my congregation. I've never heard a preacher in front of me that I really thought hated us. That was Jonah. Matter of fact, when Jonah saw the people repented, he was angry about that because he, he knew that God would forgive them. He sat outside the city hoping God would destroy them. This was the man that God sent to the Ninevites and they repented. And what Jesus is saying is, if you want to stand up one day and say, well, I my pastor wasn't compassionate enough, the people of Nineveh will rise up against you and say, hey, we repented with a guy that hated us. He mentions another guy. It says, the queen of the south will rise up in judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and indeed a greater than Solomon is here. Well, you think of, of the person that says, well, I, I, I have a right to walk away from church. My pastor was a hypocrite. He ran off with the church secretary. Or, or it came out that he did this or that. Well, Jesus said the queen of the south is going to rise up in judgment one day and say, you know what, I repented. I turned to the Lord, and I listened to Solomon. Now, Solomon was a very wise man, but if you know about Solomon's life, Solomon was a womanizer. Bad. Solomon had, again, there was polygamy in his day, and he went to the extreme. I mean, 300 concubines, 700 wives. This is a man that completely gave himself over to, to lust, and yet the queen of the south, the queen of Sheba, she repented when she heard him. She came from the ends of the earth to hear. No, you know, the truth is we're not going to have an excuse why we turn away from eternal life. If a firefighter were to grab you roughly as he pulled you out of a burning building, and yeah, he's got you in a kind of a painful spot in your neck, and he's yanking you out through the burning building, are you going to take his hand off your neck and say, nope, I'd rather burn here than have you treat me roughly? Oh, I don't think so then why do people say I'd rather go to hell than that, that Christian made me angry and was not kind to me? Really? 
How about the? Uh, what if you were going to a, 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 a just a dream event? With me, I, I'm a sports fan. Let's say I had the tickets to the NBA Finals. They're playing on a Tuesday night, and, and my favorite team's the Knicks. They've gotten nowhere near the finals. Let's say the Knicks are in the NBA Finals. It's a Tuesday night. I have nothing going on, and someone gives me the tickets to the finals. And I walk up, I present my ticket, and you know that person at the ticket booth is unconcerned about me, not very kind at all, kind of throws the ticket back in my face, says some kind of a rude comment. Am I going to turn around and say, you know what? That guy was so rude to me. If that's the way the people around here, I'm not going to go to the NBA Finals tonight. Oh, I don't think so. No, you know why? Because it wouldn't matter to me if I had to put up with somebody rude, or it wouldn't matter. Uh, you know why? Because because I, I, I'm looking forward to that event. Folks, don't think it, it's, it's, it's extremely foolish to turn away from eternal life and heaven's glories just because someone wasn't very nice to you at church. Think. Think about the, the reality of heaven and, and the reality of hell. And don't let, many times false people, not even true believers, don't let them turn you away. If you have a spiritual need and would like to speak to someone who can help you, you can email us at help at CalkinsBaptistChurch.com. Calkins is spelled C-A-L-K-I-N-S. Again, that email address is help at CalkinsBaptistChurch.com. Pastor Jones began this study of the messages of Christ in our church about two years ago, so if you would like to see their original video sermons of this ongoing series, you can find them on our Facebook page at Calkins Baptist Church. Under the video tab, there's a separate playlist for the Messages of Christ series. For those who would like to attend one of our services in person, you should be aware that due to the coronavirus pandemic, our service times have changed. Currently, we have one morning service in our family center where we can more easily practice social distancing. That service takes place at 9 a.m. on Sunday. At this time, we do not have Sunday school classes or a nursery, but this could change in the next few weeks, so feel free to check our website for any changes. Our Sunday and Wednesday evening services both start at 6.30 p.m. and are held in our normal church sanctuary. If you would like to share this radio message with a friend, you can find a link to our podcast on our Facebook page. Just look for a radio bold icon on our feed. As we leave you today, we pray that this broadcast has been a beacon of hope in your life to point you to the light of the world, Jesus Christ. May God's richest blessings come upon you. Thanks for listening.